1: Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files podcast. My name is Eric Da, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa.
2: This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I am going to read the questions and Eric will try to answer them.
1: Absolutely, I will. We have a lot of good questions. Questions about Alnico... Questions about
2: uh routing out the neck pickups. Oh my goodness. Oh
1: Dead spots on a neck How to spray a nitro finish on a neck capacitors all kinds of stuff. Oh, and a really a nice long email about relicking. <laughs> we'll get to that. But first we have calls. I'd say we just get right to it. I don't really have anything to report. Okay. What do you say? Let's do it. Okie dokie. Here we go. Call number one.
3: Hey, Eric and Melissa. It's Dean Inbow. long time listener. Been a while since I called in, though. Hey, I've got a couple of instruments I'm working on, and uh, they both have uh, spots where the back is separated from the sides, and I want to just glue that back on, but I'm going to need to push the side out just a little bit, and I'm having a heck of a time. Uh, I've got some ideas that I'm working on implementing, but I wonder if you have, if you could share some of your tricks on pushing out aside on, I got a, I've got a guitar that I can reach in just fine, but I got this little K mandolin that there's no way I'm getting my hand in there. So, uh, give me some secrets. All right. Thanks for the great podcast. I'll listen off the air.
1: Right on. Thanks, Dean. That's a good question. You know, it's one that I don't really have a quick and easy and snappy answer for you. The old school way to do it is, you know, to take the back off. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what a lot of guys would do. And that's probably put together with hide glue. So taking the back off isn't, you know, a huge deal. Um, It's not fun. But, yeah, if you could, man, if you could just fit your hand in there, mm-hmm. it'd be no problem. On a guitar, it's easy. I, honestly, I almost always turn down mandolin work. It's, um, I, I just, I just don't work on them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm busy enough with guitars. Right. Uh, so I don't have a whole lot of experience with mandolin stuff. If it were a, if it were an archtop electric guitar, I mean, an arched archtop acoustic guitar where you couldn't fit your hand in there. Um, usually those, if you have a problem lining things up, um, there's enough surface area and it's like a big enough, you know, curve Mm -hmm. that you can kind of just manipulate it with your hands and force things back to where they need to be when when you clamp it. Um, the, the, the side on a mandolin is going to be A much tighter curve. And I don't know if that's going to work for you or not.
2: I had a couple ideas. I'm obviously not an expert, but I had a couple ideas. If you could put a real strong magnet in there somehow, and then, you know, get another magnet on the outside, you'd be able to pull it out a little bit. The other,
1: I don't think that's going to work.
2: You don't think so? <laughs> the other idea I had is, you know how they fix dents on cars where they drill a little yeah. hole and then they pull it out? If you could, yeah. If it's not a super valuable mandolin, you could drill a tiny hole and put something in there that would catch.
1: Yeah, If you're going to do that, just take the back off.
2: Yeah. Sorry. Those are my super uh, non-expert yeah. ideas.
1: That's how you would fix it.
2: That's exactly how I would fix it.
1: You know, it raises a good point, though. If any listeners out there have some suggestions for that or have a fix for that, write in and tell us about it. I'd love to know about it. I I just, you know, I I don't really have a good answer for this question. Sorry. Sorry, Dean. Shall we take another call? Yep. Let's see what happens when I push this button.
0: Hi, Eric and Melissa. This is Ben from uh, the UK. Um, Love the podcast. I was just uh cooling, I've just got a new guitar with a nitro finish and I managed to spill a few drops of contact cleaner onto it which has m- left the uh, kind of trails where it ran down the body milky, coloured which I guess is a reaction to the to the nitro finish, I think it's going to have to be redone, I just wondered if you'd come across it before um, but also the reason I was using the contact cleaner, the switch cleaner was I was trying to get the um, the volume pot to move more easily it's a it's a new volume pot and it's got a nice action but it's a bit stiff for doing kind of um you know like volume swells with your little finger and stuff i was just wondering if you had any tips as to how to make that um run smoother mm-hmm. thank you very much yes indeed and, um yeah keep up the good work thank Cheers. you bye-bye
1: thank you thanks for calling Yes. Uh, so I've, you know, I wonder what kind of contact cleaner he was using there because I've never run into that. That stuff is pretty inert. I mean, f- as far as uh, affecting finishes, yeah, apparently. <clears throat> um, so I would think, you know, what I would try if I had a uh, uh, a little stain, a little mil- milky stain on some nitro, is I would take some really fine polish and see if you just couldn't polish off the very top layer uh, there and uh, polish through that stain. That's what I would try, bef- you know, before doing something rash like refinishing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- you know, usually a little stain like that will polish out. I'll run into that occasionally when, you know, when you when you do a neck reset on an acoustic guitar, you have to steam it off, and oftentimes you'll get a little bit of steam uh shooting out the, you know, neck joint there, and it'll cause a milky discoloration on the lacquer. And that generally, uh, will just polish right out. It's usually just surface deep. So try that. As far as your volume pot goes that you want to make it move more freely, take the knob off and where the shaft comes out of the housing there, uh, just put a little drop of some really fine machine oil and, uh, that'll just go you know we're not talking about the under the underside of the pot where the electronic connections are i'm talking about the top of the pot the part that's exposed on the surface of your guitar there mm-hmm. take the knob off put just a little drop where the the shaft comes out of the housing and uh, then work it back and forth a little bit and that'll just lubricate you know the part that where the most friction is happening there and it really does a lot to make them turn smoother. I do that all the time. Because I like that, too. Yeah. Just a little drop of machine oil, and it will just run right in there. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. That works great. Yep. Uh, here's another call.
3: Hey, Eric and Melissa. This is Richard from Austin, Texas. I actually just discovered the show, and I really enjoyed it. In fact, I, I already ordered a custom strap from Melissa as I binge my way through all the old episodes. Nice. Uh, anyway, I have a 1964 ES 335 TDC, so also known as the Clapton 335.
1: Oh yeah, nice guitar. Um,
3: lately, I've noticed that the block inlay on the fifth fret is lifting on the corner. Now, it's not affecting playability at all, but I'm curious if it's something I should leave alone or should I try to fix it. If the later, what would the process be to safely remove the inlay, and what glue would I use to reattach it? Uh, I'll send a a picture in of the inlay, and thanks, and keep up the great work.
1: Yes, thank you. He did send a picture in. I really couldn't see it lifting it at all, but it's hard to tell from the picture. Um, If it's just lifting and curling just a little bit, I would be tempted, you know, if this were my guitar, uh, I would be tempted, you know, I'd leave the inlay in, but just, uh, you know, mask it off with the strings off. And just put a, just a drop of super glue on the corner that's lifting, uh, either medium or thin viscosity super glue. Just put it right on in the corner there, in the crevice, and let it work, you know, it'll just, it'll just run down under the inlay. Wipe off any excess real quick, and then just hold it down with your thumbnail while it sets. I mean, that's what I would, that's probably what I would do. Hmm. It's just an easy, quick fix and and really, all we want to do is make sure it doesn't come loose, you know you don't want to lose it in a gig or something, yeah, 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 not a big deal, but those shrink over time they're they're like nitrate and they shrink, and so they and they as they shrink, they curl so, right, yeah, yeah, not a bad idea to glue that down
2: well, thanks, thanks, Richard, Thank thanks you. for the order too, oh
1: yeah, what did he order
2: he uh, custom ordered. Uh, he wants a replica of an early '50s Fender strap. Oh, cool! And he wants it aged, and so it's going to be a fun project.
1: Oh wow, you're going to age a strap? Yeah. This is a first.
2: I know. Well, so, not
1: really, because you do antique.
2: Yeah, but it's stain. not the same as like actually aging the leather so that it becomes more supple and.
1: Oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah,
2: so I'm going to
3: have to figure that out.
1: It's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah. All right. Call number four.
3: Hey Eric and Melissa, Howdy. this is a long-time listener. Uh my name is Blake Kenny. Um, and I do build guitars and uh little repairs. And uh, I got a question about my buddy gave me his 1978 uh Guild D50NT and uh the bridge is slightly starting to pull away from the top. And it is also cracked a little bit. And I'm curious as to your approach um, and uh, how you would go about fixing that. I have my idea, but I'm just calling to find out your expert opinion. Um, I will uh, send you a uh, couple photos as well so you can kind of get a better idea. Uh, thanks, and I can't wait to hear uh, this on the next episode. Right on. Thanks again, guys. Take thank, care.
1: Thank you. He did send me a few pictures. So that his bridge is lifting on his acoustic guild guitar. Mm-hmm. That's not uncommon. The bridge is lifting, but it also... It has a, a crack on the back side of the bridge where it's just... um it, It's just... It's a weird... Di- I've never really seen that before, a crack right there. Usually they crack through the bridge pins, mm-hmm. you know?
2: So, like horizontally through the bridge
1: yeah it's it's just above the glue line it has a crack that runs parallel to the glue line interesting yeah i thought so anyhow uh no matter I, th- definitely the way i would fix that would be to remove the bridge and it, to do that you want to score around it and then heat it up and then remove it with a you know a removal blade or some kind of a long thin you know, like a spatula. spatula kind of type thing, right? Right? We mm-hmm. all we all know about that. Sure. And then I would uh repair the bridge once it's off the guitar because it's gonna be a lot easier to clamp uh, with it off the guitar. Mm-hmm. So remove the bridge, I would use hot hide glue and glue up the crack and make that all tight and good and then re glue the bridge to the guitar. That's what I would do. That's how I would do it. Yeah. Cool. Simple enough, right? Yep. <clears throat> Shall we take some emails? Yeah, let's do oh, it. Let's do that. Hold on. Oh, we have a uh, we have a, a little sting to run here, right? Mm-hmm. Some, a little bump. We call this a bump in the industry. <laughs> letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters.
2: Hi Eric, do you use Alnico 2 magnets in your S-style pickups? I have a Fender Maple Neck Strat with ash body. I'd like to replace the pickups and I like the sound of Alnico 2s. Hmm. Love the podcast. Thanks, Patrick.
1: Thank you, Patrick. I used to offer Alnico 2s and I used to make I used to make pickups with Alnico 2 magnets. It was an option. Uh, I don't anymore. I would if you wanted. You know if somebody emailed me and that's what they really wanted, I would do that uh, but i I stopped using them and the reason why is I made uh, I made two identical telecaster style pickups, bridge pickups you know because i I was doing a lot of research about it and I was making them and I thought the Alnico twos sound really good i I liked them they have kind of a sweet sound but I made two identical pickups, one with Alnico five and one with Elnico two. And the Alnico five just blew away the Alnico two pickup. I mean, it, there was no contest. Like if you were, if you were on stage with two guitar players and these were the two guitars you had, the guy with the Alnico five pickups would just have so much better tone than the other guy, the guy with Alnico twos. That's what I. That was what I took away from it. Um, they sound good until you compare them to Alnico fives. Hmm. That's what I think. And yes, they did use Alnico 2s on the early Broadcaster, Esquire, you know, early Fender pickups. But they switched to Alnico 5, so there must be a reason they did that. Right. You know, I mean, everybody, a lot of uh, tone hounds say, oh, you got to get the Alnico 2s to get the authentic sound. Well... They do sound good until you compare it to an Alnico 5 pickup. That's my opinion. The the Elnico 5 just is so much more presence. It's louder, it has more attack. It's just it, just a stronger magnet. So it's, mm. it's a stronger pickup, you know. Cool. Yeah, that's that's my take on the Elnico 2s, but if if you, you know, I can understand if somebody really wants Alnico 2s and you're you're set on that, I'd be happy to make you a set. So let me know. Thanks, Patrick.
2: Hi, Eric and Melissa. I've got a question about crackly pots in a 1965 Strat. In any modern guitar, I'd just replace them and move on with life, but sure. as everything is original in this guitar, I don't want to do that. I've hit the offending pots with the Deox it a few times, and while it's better, it's still not quite right. What else is there to be done? Do I try to disassemble the pot and just change out the wafer inside? That seems like a potential can of worms. This is my first time working on a valuable guitar, valuable guitar like this, so we want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Cheers from another curmudgeonly guitar repairman, Earl. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs>
1: Right on, Earl. Um, a few ideas. You know, if that were my guitar, uh, I would probably just leave it. You know? I mean, I, I don't like to replace parts in, an, in a vintage guitar. But you can disassemble pots and replace the wafer. It can be done. I've done it before. You could also wait and be patient and try to source some old pots. They can be found if you have to replace it uh using pots from the same year is better than using modern pots um let's see he says he's sprayed it with dioxide a few times and it's better but it's still not quite right you know there there's a carbon path in there and a little wiper that runs along a carbon path and it's rare for those vintage pots to go bad because they man they really last forever but if it's a guitar that's been used a lot If it's a player that used his volume control a lot, I can see how it could wear out. So, if it's worn out, it's worn out. You know, if that carbon is worn out, it's there's no way around it. Um, I've found that if you heat them up, they'll work great. That that's a weird thing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but only while they're hot. Yeah. Just keep keep a blow dryer right on it it.
1: But um. You know man, I would just be tempted to just keep spraying deoxid in there. Uh really the less you do the better. I, I I don't want to tell you to start swapping out wafers and pots and stuff. That's just not that's not what I do. That's what everybody else does though. <laughs> right. Thanks, Earl.
2: Hello, Eric and Melissa. My first question is what kind of music and guitars does Melissa's dad play? Huh. Uh, Secondly, I have a dream of getting a Squire Telly and routing out the neck pickup for a P90. I have a Dremel and imagine if I got a template, I could go at it. What steps am I missing or not thinking of? I have never used the Dremel and I am not the most handy dude. Am I best leaving this to the pros? Mm. If so, what's a ballpark estimate? Love you guys. Keep doing you. Cheers, Corey. Right on, Corey. Uh, My dad plays... Like alternative country, I guess he calls it cowpunk, and I don't yeah. know if that's a real genre. Um, he's in a band called Whiskey Sasquatch, and he plays. He has a Gretsch. What else does he have? He has a Supro. He's
1: one of my guitars. Yeah,
2: he has a pinup. Um, as a matter of fact, he's playing Tree Fort uh, in March in Boise.
1: It's a music festival in Boise, Idaho. It's
2: getting pretty big. It's it a is. pretty big deal.
1: Yeah, he plays cool music. A lot of like, think Link Ray and uh, a little bit of kind of surf punk. Yeah, he does some Johnny Cash songs and it's good stuff.
2: Real high energy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Routing out a neck pickup for a P ninety. Go.
1: Yeah, a Dremel isn't really the tool for the job. They actually have. I don't know if this is what you're talking about or not. They actually have a routing attachment for a Dremel and you can use it to route out wood but it's a tiny little bit and it doesn't have a ball bearing guide to follow a template what you really need is a plunge router to do that Right. so you get the template, you put it on there with double sided tape, you use a plunge router and the the router bit has a little bearing that follows the the template anyhow you say you're not the most handy dude The router, I, a router, the router is probably the scariest tool I own.
2: I've never used one, and that's, that's telling.
1: I mean, there's some scary, you know, I've, there's some, there's some sleeper scary things like, uh, like the buffing wheel. The buffing wheel really is, that's a scary unit. You don't realize it until it grabs something from you. Yeah. Uh, circular saw.
2: That's pretty obvious, pretty scary.
1: actually. The router? <sighs> Man. You really have to be careful with a router. It's, it's a scary deal. It's got a lot of torque. A lot of torque. Um, but, you know, if you're careful, you can do it. Do you have a plunge router? I think if you did, you would have mentioned that. So my guess is you're going to pay it a professional to do this. Uh, and there's no shame in that. And I think it would probably be 60 bucks to route that out if they're just, you know, that's what I would charge if I'm just doing the routing that doesn't that doesn't include the electronics work of installing the pickup. Cool. There you go. Thanks, Corey.
2: Hi, Eric and Mel. I've got a question about finishing a strat neck with nitro. I've been looking at custom necks from a local manufacturer similar to Allparts or Warmoth. Some of the necks you can order come unfinished and without a nut installed. I've done a nitro refin on a strat body before, and it was a lot of work, but it came out decent. Is the process the same with the neck? Several coats and wet sanding? I'm looking at a rosewood fingerboard, so I assume I would need to tape it up. Also, I need to install a n- would I need to install a nut before coating the neck? Thanks for this awesome show, you two. I work long hours as a machinist and this is the perfect listen in a shop environment. Oh good. Nate in Seattle.
1: Thanks, Nate. Uh I actually think that painting necks is a little easier than painting bodies. Nice. Uh with a body, depending on the wood, you have to do pore filler. And you do sanding sealer and you do, you know, uh, primer if it's a solid color. And you do, you know, whatever color you're doing. And So there's a lot more steps. With a neck, you're just doing clear nitro. Maybe with some amber in it uh, to get that nice honey color, Uh you know. But I don't use any sanding sealer or anything on the... I just... You know, once it's ready to spray, I just start spraying nitro straight onto it. Oh. So there's less steps. It's actually easier. And yes, I do install the nut before I start spraying. You can do it either way.
2: You You... do?
1: Yeah, I put the nut in before I start spraying.
2: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, that's how they did it back in the day at Fender. And if you're doing a Fender-style neck, if you want it to look right, that's the way to do it. Do you cut the nut? I didn't used to, but...
2: Like, do you make the nut or do you just put a nut blank in? And then
1: I fit a nut blank in uh-huh. and so that it's it's flush on the sides and then the top is just solid. There's no grooves in it.
2: Oh, and I did then, not know that. And then
1: once I get it done then, then I cut the grooves. It's groovy. Yeah. The only thing is uh yeah, wet sanding and buffing, you know, it's a little bit more of a pain in the rear end to sand and polish in between all the frets, and then mm-hmm. you've gotta then you have to remove the uh
2: well, he says he's got a rosewood fingerboard, so he wouldn't be spraying oh, the fingerboard.
1: Oh, that's even easier. That's even easier. There's no pore filling. There's no. Yeah, this that's a this is an easy deal. So you just tape off well, the if fingerboard you, if you're uh huh yeah hmm. yeah. Um, if you want to get nuts, I do pore fill the sides of the rosewood, and I do, um, pore fill skunk stripes. This is a rosewood neck. It shouldn't have a skunk strike.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Cool.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Nate.
2: Hi, Eric and Melissa. Eric, can you talk us through how you would deal with a single dead spot on an otherwise great neck? I've got an old Yamaha SHB400, which plays beautifully except for one note. 15th fret, high E string. Cheers, (laughs) Jim from the sunny coast of Queensland, Australia.
1: Right on, Jim. Jim. There's a few things that could cause that. So you'd want to go through the checklist. 15th fret, high E string. So it's possible your 15th fret is low. It's possible that your 16th fret is high. It's possible that your 15th fret is a little bit loose. When a fret is loose, it absorbs string energy instead of deflecting it. Mm-hmm. So you'll end up with a dead note there. So if it's if it's loose a little bit, then you end up with a dead note. There's a few different ways to fix that. Um but you know, y- you if you take like what I do is I take my exacto knife, turn it around so the blunt end is uh what I'm using. And I'll tap on all the frets. Tap, 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 tap. And when you hit a loose fret, it'll go thunk. So you'll hear a really sharp tap, 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 thunk. Oh, there's your loose fret. Um. And then you can glue. Uh, what what you can do is if if the frets are level, if everything looks right, but that one fret is just loose, uh, I would wick super glue in through the side, through the side of the neck. To solidify that connection there. Uh, you could also take the fret out and retension it and run a bead of super glue in the slot and put the fret back in. I use super glue when I fret next. I know a lot of people think that's crazy talk, but that's what I do. <laughs> Here's another possibility, and it has to do with the resonant frequency of that instrument. Sometimes there's just a dead spot because. It's hitting the resonant frequency of the instrument, so the the whole instrument is absorbing the energy of the, note, the of that note, of that frequency, rather than deflecting it.
2: And so, in that—that's a real thing. There'd be nothing to do for it. That's just how well, it works, right?
1: That's it's really common on Fender basses. You'll get like this weird dead spot on the G string, halfway up the neck. Huh. And if you want to. <laughs> Here's something crazy to try. If you take a pretty heavy-duty C-clamp and clamp it onto your headstock, you'll want to use some leather shims or something so you don't damage the finish. But put a clamp on the headstock and then play your dead note and see what happens. Because that putting that clamp on actually changes the resonant frequency of the whole instrument. Mm-hmm. And if that's what's causing the problem, then that will go away with the clamp on I've blown some bass players' minds with that. Like, this, this sixth fret on the G-string is dead. Like, it doesn't ring out like the rest. And I'll say, hmm, let me see it. You put a clamp on the headstock, and then they play it again, and it rings out. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and like, they're going, what voodoo What, are you a magician?
2: That? That's amazing.
1: That's a real thing. In fact, they sell something called a fat finger which is just a little clamp that goes on your headstock that's supposed to help with that. But really what it does is it moves the dead spot.
2: Right, because there would still be, well, maybe not. Depends on how, how much of a yeah. difference So there's
1: made. a number of different things that could be causing this. A loose fret, high or low fret, or just a resonant frequency problem. Crazy. Isn't it? Thanks, Jim.
2: Hey Eric and Melissa, thanks for answering my question about tone caps on my Gretsch. Now for a follow up. When, set- when the setting allows, I like to play my amps pretty hot and use the volume control on my guitar to achieve cleaner tones. These days, I use a treble bleed circuit on my go to strat, but do not on my Les Paul, and I am happy with both. The Gretsch, on the other hand, when I turn down the volume using either the master volume or the individual pickup volume knobs, the guitar just disappears. Mm. There's no perception of cleanup, just an instant and unusable darkening of the tone. Get below about 8 and it might as well be muted. I recently tried a treble bleed on the master volume of this guitar, per Gretsch's recommendation, but now there is no perceivable reduction in volume or gain from about 10 down to 3. Jeez. Then it basically just mutes anything lower than that. What is going on? Do filter trons need a different approach? Uh, should I try a different pot values? Did I accidentally bridge something with s- sloppy solder work, or is it time to consider a pickup upgrade? Many thanks, Wit.
1: Right on, thanks Wit. Uh, I think that you've got um I think that you've got linear taper pots in there. That's what it sounds like to me. You have like one meg linear taper pots or something crazy like that. Check it out. Take a look at them and uh well, often oftentimes they'll be labeled. But uh You want 500K audio taper pots, and that will fix that. You'll have to replace the pot. 500K audio taper, that's what you want. And from your description, that's not what's in there. Well. Yeah.
2: You must really know something about guitars, huh?
1: (laughs) I've done this a few times. Shall we take a break?
2: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Right on. We'll be right back. It's hard for me to talk about the guitars that I make. I feel like I'm bragging, or I feel like I'm being a pushy salesman but i'm not above reading unsolicited emails from happy owners of my guitars and uh, calling it a commercial
2: hi eric hope you are doing well just wanted to follow up and say that i love this guitar the tonal difference in all of the switch positions is amazing the neck is so fast and straight and it's very light most importantly the pickups are incredible any tone is available nate
1: well thanks nate I'm so glad that he's happy with that one
2: Eric, thanks so much for making my favorite guitar I've owned so many And I can't figure out why this guitar Feels like the one that I've been playing with My whole life, even though I've only had it A month Thank you, Eli on. You did it again, my friend Why do your pickups sound so Good (laughs) David
1: Uh, You know, I tell people it's like It's like making a cake you gotta have the right recipe, you gotta have quality ingredients, and you have to, it all comes together in a certain way. And if you do the wrong thing at any certain step, then you end up with a bad cake. Right. It's like making a delicious, very good sounding cake. Go ahead.
2: Recently purchased the Nitro Blonde Pin Up Custom Guitar you made. The intonation, resonance, playability, and that amazing tone in all three coil selections is by far the best I have ever played. I plug in and can't stop playing for hours. I will probably sell both of my other guitars and get another pinup. Thanks,
1: Douglas. That's what I like to hear. Douglas, thank you. And you guys are so nice. You can see these lovely creations at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl. pinupcustomguitars.com.
2: As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tanned leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit melcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email melcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M E L C O leather.com. Hi, Eric and Mal. Thank you so much for the podcast. I came across it a month or so ago and binged my way through the entire catalog in a couple weeks during my daily ferry commute across the Puget Sound. Hey, I know where that is. Uh, a week after listening to the most recent episode, I am still in stitches over the flovation. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> Eric, you should hire a patent attorney, a, eternity, attorney. A, attorney ASAP. I don't
1: think that's going to happen, but thank you.
2: I am a beginning guitar player, mostly teaching myself by trying to learn simple blues tunes. I have a relatively new Taylor 110, which I have strung with D'Addario 12 lights. It came with medium 13s. Changing to a lighter string made it a lot easier to play. You have mentioned Taylor Guitars in passing a couple times, and I'm interested in your opinion, particularly about the neck construction. You once mentioned that there are pros and cons to this design. Could you please elaborate? That's from Al from Poulsbo, Washington.
1: Yeah. Right on, Al. Uh, yeah, I get pros and cons, I guess. I don't know the the thing about it. So Taylor Guitars came along, and they had a bolt-on neck, and nobody had really done that before. Except for a few weird Fender models that, like Fender acoustic guitars that basically had Strat necks on them. Uh, but this is a different thing entirely. It's like a mortise and tenon, and then there's bolts going through the neck block. And Taylor came out with this, and everybody laughed. Ha! <laughs> Look at this. They don't even have a dovetail glued on joint. Well, um it quickly became obvious that uh, this was a perfectly acceptable design, they sounded great, it was easy to reset the neck, um, and so people stopped laughing pretty quickly, right? Taylor proved that a bolt-on neck on an acoustic guitar was perfectly acceptable. Now, depending on how much of a traditionalist you are, you either like that or you don't. Personally, I would... And I just have to be honest with you here. I just would never own a tailor. I'm, I'm just that guy. I'm just a, an old school traditionalist guy who I, I like old construction on guitars. I think that it, that's where the pros and cons come in. I think that it is actually will give you a superior tone to have a hide glue dovetail neck joint. Now, if you were to play me two, acoustic guitars one was a taylor and one was an old martin or something um i don't know would i be able to tell the difference i don't know they'll both sound great that's just me being you know it's like it's like i what what kind of ice cream flavor do you like you know well mm-hmm. ice cream's pretty good i'll have any flavor they're all really good but as long as i have a choice i'm going to choose what i like best and that's how it is with guitars. I just choose what I like best. It's not that I think there's anything wrong with Taylor. They make a fine guitar. They really do. Um, that's that's all I meant with the pros and cons is that there's, you know...
2: The con is that you don't like them?
1: There's guys like me that don't like them. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically, that's it. Uh, but, you know, don't let that bum you out. I, they really, they are fine guitars, and I've worked on a million of them. And I will say... When they have a neck angle problem, they're way easier to work on and that's a that's a pretty nice pro, yeah, that is really a nice um option but um yeah they're nice they're they're good guitars, especially you know they're under new management i think they the company got sold or the i don't know whoever was running it left, and now they have a new guy i don't really i didn't really follow what happened there, but he has redesigned the way they're braced. With some new kind of bracing. Uh-huh. And uh, they really sound good. The new ones. Cool. That they've been making in the last few years here. They really, really sound good. They're, they're great guitars. Yeah. Thanks, Al.
2: Hi, Eric. The Fret Files is a truly lovely podcast. Tip of the hat to you for the work and dedication you put into it.
1: Thanks, Governor.
2: It might surprise you to know that it is interesting and enjoyable even to guitar playing, non-guitar scientists like myself. My wife, also a non-guitar scientist, even gets a chuckle when we listen on road trips, especially when Melissa lays down the final word on topics like Seattle snowmageddon. Note, Snowmageddon really did cripple us here in the Puget Sound. We weren't just being great big babies, well, maybe a little bit big babyish, but come on, snow is cold and it messed up our Amazon 2-day shipping.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it.
2: We used to live there. We get it.
1: Oh yeah, totally. There was
2: once when we got like two inches of snow and we had to walk four miles. And
1: Melissa does lay down the final word quite often. You can On tell by by listening to this podcast. You can tell who runs this house. That's not true. I'm just kidding. Thanks. It's me. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> anyway, anyway, back to Kent's okay. question.
2: All right, here's my question, and it's about relicking. What is up with rel- relicing? I put down the guitar for about 10 years and recently came back to it. When I started looking around at guitars again, it was like someone had snuck on the scene while I wasn't paying attention and beat the crap out of all the instruments. According to the guitar lore I've read, it all started with Keith Richards asking Fender Custom Shop to thrash some new axes they made him, apparently to give them a more grizzled, whiskey-soaked, and drug-addled patina. I suppose this makes sense for Keith, a touring musician with a certain image and a fleet of guitars. But how did this spiral out to where the relics equal or outnumber the pristine guitars coming out of the custom shop? What's next? Boutique guitar scientists building entire Idahoan empires out of beat-up guitars? (sighs) uh when i was growing up i was told always put the instrument back in its case and mind your belt buckle so you don't damage the finish and never leave the piano keys uncovered when not playing and shut up with all the talking and the children are meant to be seen and not heard so i'm pretty sure if somebody handed me the length of a chain and a three thousand dollar freshly painted strat and said sir we need you to wallop the guitar real good with the chain to improve its appearance and value trust us I simply couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And you can't make me like beat up geats. But clearly there's a market for it. So why? My wife, who is always right. That's a good man. Just like me. Uh, says it might be like furniture. She says, hey, dummy, we have a raw wood table that you like. And that was made from supposedly 100 year old fallen down Arkansas barn wood. And it's true. We got it from someone on Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> But to me, this is different because the word wood was repurposed. The barn's life ended and a coffee tables began. Yay. So maybe it's about mojo. That geet has the vibe, dude. It seems some stuff. But no, actually, it has seen zero stuff. It's brand new. It was just given a fresh beating to it to make it seem vibey. So maybe it's all about hashtag authenticity and the miles you've logged on to those worn frets with your raw fingers, your sweat, and all the good times and feels you and your geet have had together. Yeah, no. So maybe people have always put the instrument back in its case syndrome like me, and the relicking thing is liberating. Like, hey, I never have to put this thing back in its case. Hell, I'll leave it outside during the Seattle Snowmageddon. I don't care. It's relicked, baby. Help me square this circle, Eric. I would love to hear your thoughts. Kent. BS, hmm. I am totally going to get a pinup one of these days. I played a couple at ECG, but that's Emerald City Guitars, and they are gems, but I will be selecting the vintage new option. Thank you very much.
1: Right. Yeah, I mostly make relics, but I will make, you know. Right.
2: You make a new one if something
1: Yeah, asks. it's called vintage new where, you know, it looks like a uh... It looks like a, an old guitar that's ne- that doesn't have a scratch on it.
2: <clears throat> yeah, it looks like a guitar that would have come out in the 50s. Yeah, in, right. Yeah.
1: Well, Kent, I tell you what, you know, the, the thing about it is, and I can break this down, it's real simple, I can break this down for you very, very simply. Vintage guitars are exorbitantly, prohibitively expensive. Okay? I like 50s, tellies and strats. That's what I like. I like other guitars, too, but that's my main deal. That's what I like, okay? I can't afford one. They're $20,000, 30000 $50,000, dude, right? So guys like me make replicas that uh, are a fraction of the cost, a tenth of the cost, you know, a twentieth of the cost. And I'm with you. Look, uh, most relic jobs I see, uh, I don't, I don't like them. I don't actually like relic guitars. I don't own anybody's relic guitars. I, I do my own relics and I like those. Um, there's a few, there's a handful of guys that are good at it. Uh, I, I like to think that I'm okay at it. Um, you know, I, I'm happy with, I'm happy with the guitars with the relicking work that I do, but it's about, Vintage guitars. That's what it's about. Most players can't afford one. And even the players who can afford one, or the players who are touring, imagine if you, let's just imagine that you owned a 1952 Telecaster. Mm-hmm. You're going to take that down to the bar? No. You're going to gig with that? You're going to take that on tour? No. Now, the studio is one thing. Yeah, you're gonna take that on tour? So, you love that guitar, right? W- what are you gonna take on tour? You need a replica of that guitar. Th- that's, this is, that's all it's about. It's not about authenticity or mojo or anything like that. It's about the fact that real guitars are prohibitively expensive. That's all it is. And so we need a substitute. And I'm sorry, but a shiny new Fender doesn't do it for me. It just doesn't cut it. Yeah. It just doesn't cut it. So that's that's all it is. That's all it's about. And I'm, you know, I hear you. Most most relic jobs that I see, I look at them and I think, ah, somebody just got out a an angle grinder. You know. Right. And they look bad. Most of them look bad. Most of them just plain look bad. Most most people go too far. They relic it too far and it looks just stupid. And the, it doesn't look natural. Me, I... Here's... Do you want to know how I think about it? The guitar is a canvas and I'm painting a picture, basically. I'm painting a picture of an Guitar from the '50s on this canvas that happens to be a guitar. That that's how I look at it, you know. And I, I don't know. I, there's certainly a market for it because I'm pre-sold months in advance. So you know, there's there's a lot of guys who understand it and get it and who who want it. Yeah, I and can't. He, no, well, I, and can't. <laughs> hey, it's it's a great question because it gives me a chance to talk about it, but. You know, Kent likes my work. He he wants to get one of my guitars. He's he just doesn't want an aged one, which is great. I yeah. I make them all the time that aren't aged. You know. Yep. But there's an art to it. There's, I mean, really, there's an art to making it look authentic. It's very. It took me a long time to get to where I'm happy with the results. It's it's not easy. Um, and. Uh, there's there's an art to it, you know? Cool. Anyway, I appreciate the thoughts, Kent. Thank you very much.
2: <clears throat> I have a question about the string tension on my Strat. Right now I have the tailpiece flat against the body with three springs on the tensioner. I use 10-gauge strings and the guitar is pretty uncomfortable to play compared to guitars I've played at reputable shops in the area. Bending the strings and vibrato has gotten more difficult since I had it professionally set up a few years ago. That's not good. Another thing I should add is that the frets are worn down in the middle from the 2nd to the 15th fret from bending on the D, G, and B strings. I have fat fingertips, and they touch the fretboard on the bends and vibrato, causing more resistance. When I play up high on the neck, where the frets aren't that worn, it's much easier to play. The guitar doesn't buzz and is intonated pretty well. I'm happy with the action, which isn't too low or too high. What could be some of the causes of hard-to-bend strings? Since there's no buzzing or fretting out, does it just need to be re-fretted? Thanks so much for the show, Johnny in Seattle.
1: Thanks, Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see the guitar, you know. Sometimes you can... Uh, yeah, sometimes there's things that you just have to see. But, yeah, I can give you some general ideas of of what causes that. Um, on a Strat... Uh, let's see, he says he's got pretty worn-out frets. Well, that's part of the problem, I think. Um, You know... <clears throat> One of the, one of the things that I've found is that, uh, a, a strat, a fender style guitar, well, any guitar really will f- feel stiffer with a little bit of relief in the neck. And a lot of techs like to set up a guitar with a little bit of relief in the neck. I don't. I like to set up the neck as straight as I can get it. And that actually does help in my opinion. Uh, It helps the strings feel a little bit slinkier. It's just kind of a perception thing. But if your frets are worn out really low, then you're getting a lot of friction against the fingerboard, so that's another part of it. Uh, If you... Let's see, you've also got, you know, you've basically got it hard-tailed. A lot of strats, you play them and they feel slinky, and that's because there's some give in the tremolo, so as you bend, the tremolo actually moves a little bit. So some some strats feel slinkier because of of the way that the tremolo is is uh, set up. But yeah, um, also you know the angle the angle behind the uh, the nut, the angle from the nut to the tuners that can that can affect things. I've found that locking tuners, and this might just be a perception thing too, but I think locking tuners make a guitar feel stiffer. You know, yeah, and I i don't know if that's just in my mind or not. That's, it, because it's a hard thing to really, you know, scientifically test, you know? You just play a couple Stevie Ray Vaughan licks and say, oh, that was hard to bend. I don't know. I don't know. I've seen, you know, well, there's scale length that can make a big difference, but you've just got a strat and that's, the standard strat scale length um you might just be due for frets you might absolutely be due for a fret job uh, if you have a if you have a micrometer a digital caliper you could uh, you could measure how tall the frets are if they're lower than about you know, I don't know, thirty-five 000ths. You're probably due for a fret job. I don't know. A few things to think about. Anyway, thanks, Johnny, so much for the call. Or, no, for the question. That wasn't a call. It was a question. And thanks to everybody who listens and participates. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to participate in the show, go to ericdaw.com. Click the contact link and submit your question there. We'll use it as part of the show. And the other way to do it is to call 757 774 8482. You can call or text that number 757 774 8482. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Good night.